0: Hey there, I'm Fiona Lee here with this week's episode of Insight Intercom. We're revisiting an insightful conversation we had a while back with G2 Patel, Chief Product Officer and Chief Strategy Officer at Box. Box is a prime example of a company that has successfully transformed a product into a platform and through that process, grow their business exponentially. G2 was instrumental in driving that evolution. In this episode, G2 talks with Adam Rismond about the industry trends that made Box evolve into a platform in the first place.
1: We actually built out some enterprise capabilities that customers wanted around governance and compliance and all of those. And very quickly over there, we found out that, hey, back in 2008, we said, let's make sure that we give people the ability to work with Box content, regardless of the application that they're working in.
0: He explains why a frictionless developer experience is critical to platform success.
1: The way that developers are going to go out and really start to imagine different things is you give them a ton of examples, and you make sure that the way in which they can navigate through our documentation, get some recipes, cookbooks, reference apps, sample
0: apps. And lastly, G2 explains what platform teams will need to figure out in the coming years as more and more products adopt a platform strategy.
1: Can you make... Uh, development so accessible so that not only the best of the best in Silicon Valley are able to build great experiences, but that any company which is eventually going to have a digital presence should be building amazing experiences for their customers.
0: If you enjoy this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast player and check out upcoming episodes we've got with leaders at Slack, HubSpot, and New Relic. Let's listen to the full interview.
2: G two, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Adam. So to get us started, can you walk us through how you got to where you are today? Maybe give us the cliff notes of your career in tech? Uh, sure.
1: I started in uh, a think tank advisory firm that really helped organizations in the collaboration and productivity space for about 17 years. It was partly owned by Forrester in Chicago. And then uh, from there, my, I crossed paths with the folks at EMC and Documentum, and they uh, asked me to come on board as CTO to help with their cloud and mobile strategy. Very quickly, we found out that once I got there, that you, we wouldn't be able to get it done organically. And, um, you know, I also owned m and at the time. And so I proposed to the board that we acquire a company from the outside in the SaaS space. Shortly after we acquired the company, I ran the company for a while and scaled it from about eight people to about 250 or 300 people. And then uh, Dell was buying EMC, so they were going to carve it out. And Aaron and I had known each other for a while. And so here we are. And Aaron wanted to start a platform business at the time that I was, uh, you know, we were selling Simplicity off. And he said, it'd be great to have someone with the kind of background that I had. And we um,
2: we got talking and here we are. And it's, uh, it's been a great ride for the past couple of years. Awesome. So the Box platform was really in its nascency then when you came aboard.
1: It actually wasn't a launched product at the time. It was an idea without, you know, there wasn't really a... Um, a business unit and a team put in place. So I I literally, I came on board, brought one of my folks with, and there were a couple of people over here and we literally had three or four people that we started this thing with. So it was a startup within a startup. So, you know, pretty cool from that perspective.
2: And so what was the problem that you guys were attacking that made you decide to really open things up or maybe the opportunity that you saw there?
1: Yeah. You know, any of these um, ideas that you take, you have to see if there's actually an industry tailwind and a mega trend that's actually supporting the thesis that you're going after. And the the big mega trend we were seeing was, you know, every company was going to go digital and, you know, half-lives of business models were shrinking and half-lives of products were shrinking even faster than business models. So over a two to three year period, you know, people would completely have to rethink their product value proposition. So the old model of, you know, taking two years to build out a product and release them just wouldn't work. You needed to have much faster kind of cycle times for releasing the product and, in order to do that, the way that new apps were getting built uh, and new experiences were getting built were through the use of these microservices, where you would have a set of kind of ecosystem providers that would do what they do best, so that you can then focus on doing what you do best. And so, you know, if you think about applications when they use services like Twilio or um, you know for for messaging or Stripe for payments or you know, send grid for email, uh, we felt like content needed to have the same value proposition. It's basically essential for every application to have a great world-class content experience. Right. But content isn't anyone's business, really. Um, You know, management of content. It's what a financial services company does is they go out and manage money. And they just need to make sure the content's effectively being delivered through their system in a way that they can have a r- great relationship built with their customers. And so and um, healthcare company goes out and saves lives. And so all of these areas uh, we felt like could be massively um, kind of benefited by going out and having a white label platform where all the capabilities and richness of Box that we had built over the course of the past decade could then be made available as a set of APIs and RESTful services to be embedded into... A bunch of other kind of custom apps that get built out in the world and that would literally kind of 10x our addressable market on the number of users that would go out and
2: use us right and for the people that would then build on that platform it's also giving them that additional selling point and providing extra value to their user base as well
1: yeah and the nice part about this is it also gives them an innovation tailwind not every company needs to re-figure out every single time how encryption works and security works and compliance standards work and uh, how, you know, a beautiful experience for rendering content should work. Like if I think prior to us, if a application developer wanted to have a HD quality video experience with instant transcoding, uh, you would have to build out a team like Netflix with 200 engineers. Now you can, with a few API calls, just embed that box HD viewer and preview capabilities right into your application. And it it took you, you know, like an infinitesimally small fraction of time compared to what it would have taken you to go out and build that capability. What that does is as we keep investing, those app developers just get an innovation tailwind from us because they just benefit from all the innovations that we're making.
2: So when you're a product builder who's first beginning to open up your platform, as it was the case for you when you got into Box, how did the mindset of the team that you were working with have to change? What type of transition did you guys have to make to become a platform company?
1: That's a really good question. So, you know, one of the things that when you're an apps company and you start thinking about building a product for a particular audience, what you tend to have is a tremendous amount of clarity on the use cases that you're going to serve. And Mm -hmm. you typically tend to curate a very, very thoughtfully built out experience for those use cases for that particular audience. And then you direct people to use your product in that way. With the platform, most of the innovation that ends up happening, we might have not even imagined at the time that we were building the platform. And so That same model of taking an apps business uh, and porting it over the platform, the biggest kind of cognitive dissonance that happens is you don't start out with, you know, a very predefined prescribed set of use cases. You start out with a baseline infrastructure and framework that people build on top of. And that is the biggest mind shift that you have to make because majority of the innovations that we've seen happen with our customers that they've built, we had never imagined when we were building the platform.
2: Obviously, you guys were pretty large at the time that you made this transition, but someone that's maybe a little bit smaller than you looking around the corner, how do they know that they're both a good fit and ready for a platform play? What boxes do they need to check or have in place to set them up for success?
1: I think firstly, as you're building a startup, the thing to think about is any category dominant leader that's really gone out and built a disproportionate value and market share compared to their other competitors has essentially not just built an apps business they've also built a platform business what i mean by a platform business is you've got data in your system that other developers are using to create additional value on top of what you've provided to them Mm -hmm. and that creates a discontinuous leverage effect within the ecosystem right and you're you're basically taking advantage of the entire ecosystem um, where you're no, no longer just bound by the innovation velocity that you yourself organically might be able to deliver to the market, but you're actually compounding the value that everyone else can go out and build on top of the data that you have. So over time, a lot of companies that want to go out and dominate certain categories or you know, have a category leadership position will need to go out and think about building a platform. But the way that you do it is in multiple stages. So for example, if you just look at our box journey that we had, we started out as an app that did some pretty basic capabilities and how do I take a file and share it and put it in the cloud and share it with people both inside and outside my organization. And then from there, we actually built out some enterprise capabilities that customers wanted around governance and compliance and all of those. And very quickly over there, we found out that, hey, back in 2008, we said, let's make sure that we give people the ability to work with box content, regardless of the application that they're working in. So the first thing we did to become a platform company was back in 2008, where we said, let's open up our APIs to third parties to go out and integrate with us. Mm-hmm. And in fact, phase zero was we had built out a pretty robust set of APIs that all of our capabilities that we had built ourselves were built on top of APIs rather than being built directly with calls into our or engine. Right, And so we had abstracted with a set of APIs and RESTful services. We then opened up those APIs for developers to integrate with us. And then over time, what you started seeing was customers also wanted to do, as they were deploying Box, do some scripting and make sure that they can do some customization because they wanted to use Box in a certain way or they wanted to go out and do broad-based deployment and user provisioning and they wanted to write a quick script as an admin. So our API started getting used for that. And then very quickly, customers came to the conclusion actually that, hey, I love what Box brings to the table. But there's a bunch of apps that I'm building, which I also want to have the same level of rich content capability embedded in with the same level of compliance and security. And I don't want to refigure that out every single time I build an app. Um, would you folks be able to white label the app or white label your, your, your product with a set of APIs and have the right identity model so people don't have friction, so on and so forth? But in this entire journey, what we ended up doing was started with something very basic, but we were true to the principle of we have to build a company that's API first. So you might be an apps company today, just make sure that you have the discipline of being an API first company, because you never know when your business model will actually make a lot of sense to create a lot of leverage by building a platform and building a set of APIs that people can build on. And if you do plan on building a multi-billion dollar company, chances are that you're going to want to make sure that you deliver ways that the data that you have can be compounded in value by what other people do on top of your data. And so that requires, you know, having a platform mindset.
2: I'm really curious in the early days of the Box platform, how did you go about pitching its story to developers? What were you doing to show them that, hey, building a Box will bring growth to your business?
1: You know, we were lucky in that case. And I think like someone like Stripe or Twilio, who you can think of as other platforms, probably would have been harder to go out and pitch compared to ours. The the beauty about our business was our app, the Box app, is the best reference app for our platform, because every single thing that we built in Box is, in fact, built on our APIs, right? So when someone says, "What, what exactly can I do with the Box platform, we just say, well, Here's one example. It's a Box app that 50 million users have registered and are using. You know, So by the disproportionate advantage we had in the market is when we launched our V1 of our platform, it was already operating at scale with tens of thousands of customers and millions of users right. and petabytes of data. The only thing was Box was our only customer and our ecosystem was our only other customer, which is the, the, the integrations we were making. And so with us, we had that, Advantage of our marketing got a whole lot easier because people intrinsically knew what you could do with the platform by just looking at Box. And Box was, a, you know, this e- e- very easy to access product as well because it's, a, it's got a freemium model. You can download it online. You can just see what it feels like. That was an advantage we had. In addition to that for the platform was we maniacally focused on the developer experience and the developer flow. Because if you think about who we serve as customers, we have three constituencies we cater to at Box. First and foremost, cater to the user. Mm -hmm. The second constituency that we cater to is the enterprise IT professionals, whether it be the security professional or IT admin or the CIO, what have you. Right. And the third one is a developer who's going to go out and build and imagine different experiences with Box than what we could have imagined ourselves. And what we did over there was we said the way that developers are going to go out and really start to imagine different things is you give them a ton of examples And you make sure that the way in which they can navigate through our documentation, get some recipes, cookbooks, reference apps, sample apps, we have interactive documentation. So you can make an API call right within our documentation to see what the return code would look like. All of those things, we actually were very, very focused on making sure that we took out the friction from the developer experience. Mm -hmm. And that in our mind was, you know, we were so obsessed about it that we have a product manager. And an engineering team focused on documentation because that experience in our minds, if you take out the friction over there, it's the time to the first API call. If you take out the friction before the first our developer, when they get an API key can make the first API call, you've now opened up a whole different level of possibility because you've created delight for the developer. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode.
2: How does that dialogue with partners and developers look like today? Do you go as far as sharing product roadmaps with them? What types of things are you doing?
1: Yeah, we in fact we do much more than share product roadmap. I'll give a very simple example is like, you know, we have even our Feedback loop of documentation that we have is kind of open source. Where if people have ideas on how to make the documentation better to explain how a product works, we actually have feedback that can be brought in right from the documentation side. And we have an approval cycle that goes in. So we think of our developers as not as much customers, but just partners that are going to build great experiences around content with us, where they don't have to worry about the infrastructure and the boring details and content, we'll take care of that. And then they can do what they do best. You know, one of our customers, H&R Block, had a great way of positioning it. They're like, you know, we want to make sure that we use Box for what Box does best so that they can do what they do best so that their customers can do what they do best. Right. And it's, it's kind of a fascinating mindset because what we're starting to see is with Box platform, most customers are using us for creating experiences not just for their internal employees but largely for their customers and we are now getting to be in the path of revenue. So one of the things that you would think is you know as you go to the developers you're getting into a more technical audience but what's starting to happen is more CEOs and board of directors that are come engaging in conversations with us as a strategic partner because the way in which they go out and build their next generation experiences as a company we're going to be a core kind of component of making that happen.
2: Yeah, so it's really a symbiotic relationship then. It really is. And it's it's actually very rewarding because what you have to do
1: on that front is you have to make sure, because one of the things I forgot to mention when you were saying what's the difference between an app and a platform, in the platform space, pricing, even though you might start with one developer for a few API calls and a few resources, most people want to understand pricing and how it would look at, at scale before they go out and start building on your platform. And one of the things that's really important about a commercial model and platform is you have to make sure that you've aligned yourself in such a way that you don't succeed when the developer failed at building an app. So what we've done in our pricing model is, is exactly that, which is we succeed when the developer gets to scale of using our product. And we give them a tremendous amount of flexibility in which different kinds of use cases they can go out from a broad spectrum of use cases for using the products.
2: Many of our listeners are from early stage companies. Their products are often still in the phase of, of gaining traction, and they're probably starting to look at platforms and working with folks like yourself. What should they be considering in terms of who they might make an integration with?
1: The one thing that I would say as a mindset that startups and all of us who've actually been in this kind of new cloud ecosystem have had an advantage of is if you looked at the client server world, it was very much a I'm gonna go out as a customer. I'm talking about the enterprise software market, let's say for a second. I'm gonna go out and buy all my and my entire technology stack from a single vendor. I'm gonna I'm gonna purchase everything from my database to my applications, everything from one vendor, whether it be Oracle or any of those. Um, and what you had to do was because not any particular vendor can't be great at everything. And so you then optimize for the least common denominator. And the reason you did that was you said, well. Because they all interoperate well with each other, in the cloud interoperability is actually an assumed across vendors. Right. So even though people buy CRM from Salesforce, they might buy marketing automation from Marketo. Even though Salesforce has a marketing automation component, they might buy content management from Box, and they might buy HR from Workday, and they might buy ERP from NetSuite, and they look at that as a overall kind of cloud ecosystem that they're putting a blueprint for. So. One of the key fundamentals, I think, of any successful cloud company is you have to make sure that you build a broad ecosystem, but the broad ecosystem is one where we, the way we think about it is we want to enable the entire community when they're building applications in a very frictionless way, integrate with us without doing a whole lot of work. And then there's going to be certain customers or or, or certain part, kind of partners like Microsoft or Google or Salesforce or Amazon, where we actually take a lot of our engineering resources and we dedicate a huge amount of time in making sure that we do very deep integrations with them, you know, with Facebook and Slack and all of these kind of partners that we work with as well. And so our goal is to make sure that just because you might compete with a company in one dimension doesn't mean that you close off your partnering aperture in the other dimension or appetite in the other dimension. And that's the one thing I would really keep in mind is. Think about what's right for the customer and then move backwards from there. Would a customer like to use your product in conjunction with someone else's, even if the two of you compete? And if that is the case, you should be partnering with them. You shouldn't just go out and try to have your interests dominate how your partnership strategy goes. And if, if you can do that, you'll actually have a much more sustained business than otherwise.
2: It's really interesting because you hear so often every product company talking about user first and being customer first. Yet when you look at a platform, it's not always that case.
1: I'll give you an example. Like if you look at our, um, our some of our biggest partners, they happen to be some of our biggest competitors. Like we partner an insane amount with Microsoft. We have like, you know, teams of people on our side that are dedicated to going out and working with Microsoft, integrating with Office 365, integrating with all of their different kind of areas of their technology. So we compete with them in one area around SharePoint and OneDrive, but we, we partner with them in virtually almost every other area. And we've got the benefit of having first-class citizenship over there.
2: You've hinted at this already, I think, with your many mentions of Stripe and Twilio, but who else in the platform space is, is making a play that you admire and what are they doing that's making it so successful?
0: I think there's so
1: many different models around how platforms are getting evolved that there's a lot of people that we can admire. Like in, on one spectrum, you have the microservices like uh, you know Stripe and Twilio and SendGrid, which we all admire and we actually work closely with so that we can, we can partner with them. Not just in products integrating, but how do we go out and collectively think about the platform business? We converse with their executives all the time then you have on the other end you know even companies like facebook which have become great platforms in their own right in the consumer space we try to take a lot of lessons from those companies like facebook and google and what they've done and then you've got fantastic enterprise platforms like you know microsoft or salesforce and we we uh, we tend to go out and um, look at them as well as you know kind of great models to um, you know kind of steal good ideas from and also give them good ideas on how they can become better platforms the one thing that's important is if all of us focus on customers building amazing experiences with our platforms, we will all rise with the tide. And so the one area that I feel is our biggest challenge as an industry is, can you make a development so accessible so that not only the best of the best in Silicon Valley are able to build great experiences, but that any company which is eventually going to have a digital presence should be building amazing experiences for their customers because guess what customers expect that regardless of the website of an insurance company or Airbnb, they expect the same level of kind of design and aesthetics, um, ease of use, and there's there's a certain level of flattening that's happened where you don't no longer just compete with your competitors you compete with the best in class in any industry.
2: Right, it's all table stakes now.
1: It's all table stakes, right? I mean, the registration flow on how an application should behave is no different for, for an insurance company than it is for Airbnb. I mean, the customers have an expectation. If you don't give that, then they're just going to abandon and not come back to you and you won't have engagement.
2: So speaking of platforms evolving, you recently announced that the Box platform is now available in the AWS marketplace. What makes this such a big win for both you guys and for developers as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we think about on AWS and how we, um, uh, firstly, we think of Amazon as one of the most amazing companies. It's interesting today, they um, just launched, um, they just announced a great acquisition of Whole Foods, which is, I mean, they're just such a creative company that we look at them as an inspiration. Well, the thing that we found that Amazon does really well is, you know, and the mindset that you have to have is if you feel like developer ecosystem nurturing and development is a central part of building a great platform, then you have to have the mindset that you're not just going to make your developers come to you. You're going to go to where the developers are and the developers are going to be at multiple places. If I'm a developer building on AWS at AWS marketplace, I'm looking for services over there. I should just be able to make sure that my services are available through them. If I'm a developer that's, you know, building on IBM Bluemix, then we should make sure that our services are available over there. So we, we will um, continue to make sure that we are delivering our services across all of these different areas. And so uh, the, the way to think about Amazon's partnership is, you know, when a developer is building on Amazon on their platform, uh, and if they want to have some content APIs that they want to start using without any friction, without losing the context, they should just be able to provision our APIs, pay for it and start using them.
2: Well, Gito, I know you've been in this space for a long time, so I want to end with this. What excites you in the next couple of years moving forward with the possibilities for platform companies like yourselves?
1: You know, um, the way I think about this is, you know, some people think it's rather reductive, but if if you, during the course of your um, life's work, can go out and impact hundreds of millions or billions of people at scale, then it's a pretty fulfilled life that you can um, look back at. And I think there's very few plays in the market where you can actually... Participate and do work that's really creative every single day. That's going to go out and have that level of scale leverage. And we feel like, um, you know, like I'll I'll end with this: a large customer for Box would have been like a, you know, two hundred, three hundred thousand user kind of customer, like uh, like GE, right? When when we, we were an apps company, now a large customer for us is tens of millions of users. Because what ends up happening is customers are going out and building experiences for their customers and we go out and engage with a lot, a lot with financial services customers who might have 15, 20, 30 million users. And um, it's it's a great way to go out and you know, fantasize saying, I'm going to go into a room full of people, you know, five years, seven years down the line, ask them how many of you know Box, and maybe 30% of them raise their hands, but the remainder of the 70% that didn't, are all using Box. They just don't know it because every time they go to any of the major brands in the world, they're being served up content that's actually coming from Box. That's a very kind of indirect value, but a very fulfilling kind of proposition to spend your time on.
2: Yeah, It's a super powerful opportunity for those that can make the play. G2, I think we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us today. Adam, thank you for your time.
0: Thanks for listening
2: to the Inside Intercom Podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.